Turn your Bible, if you would, to Genesis chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44. As you're turning there, no joke today, just a, a question. If two vegans, okay, two vegans, get into an argument, is it still called a beef? Something for you to think about today. Is it still called a beef, Harley? Amen. So we are winding down this incredible journey that we have been on with this incredible man, young man named Joseph. So another question. What made Joseph great? What made God spend more time on his story, on his life, in the book of Genesis than any other character, including Abraham? Think about that. God dedicated more time in the book of Genesis for this young man, Joseph, than what he did even for Abraham. He never performed any miracles. Think about it. He never wrote any books of the Bible. The Bible never declared him brilliant like it does Daniel. Joseph was just an ordinary man, just like you and I. So what made Joseph great? Plain and simple, it was his unshakable faith and his godly attitude, no matter what his circumstance was. Amen? His unshakable faith and his godly attitude in the face of some of the most horrific circumstances. I mean, you think about Joseph. He was treated horribly for most of his entire life. From his brothers to being you know, sold as a slave, being falsely accused, being imprisoned. He was treated horribly most of his life. But his faith in God and his godly attitude stood firm through it all. Amen? That's what made Joseph great. Let's pick up in Genesis chapter 44, starting at right at verse 1. And he, Joseph, commanded his steward of the house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and, uh, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from, from our Lord's uh, house? With, whomover, with whomever of your servants it is found... Let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. 
And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But Joseph said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up to your father in peace. Here we see that Joseph decides to to kind of test his brothers. He has a steward hide his silver cup in Benjamin's bag. Now, I want to I notate something here. Joseph instructs his steward in, in verse 5 to tell his brothers that the cup was used for divination. Now, you can be rest assured that Joseph did not practice divination. He simply wanted more significance to be surrounded around that cup, not just a mere drinking cup, you know, being the governor of Egypt, second in command underneath Pharaoh, he certainly had plenty of wealth and silver and gold. That wasn't the issue. Joseph wanted extra attention on this cup. He wanted extra value placed on this cup. And it also helped keep his identity hidden. So he, he tells the steward to just tell him he uses it for divination, although he actually didn't. Uh, divination was, was quite uh, common in Egypt, so it kind of went hand in hand with him keeping his, his identity hidden from his brothers as well. So once they go outside the, the city, Joseph has his steward stop them, and he searches their bags. In verse 12, he began with the oldest, and then he left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's bag. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. They were positive that none of them had stolen anything. They even made a pledge, look, you know, whoever's bag it's found in, they should surely be put to death. So when the steward opened Benjamin's bag and the cup was found in there, they were stunned. They were speechless. They couldn't believe what had happened. So they all turn around, they return back to Egypt, and they stand before Joseph. Verse 16. Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? In other words, Judah saying, Look, you got us. What, what can we say? There's no excuses that we can offer. The cup was clearly found 
in Benjamin's bag. He says, God found out the iniquity of your servants. And here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he, speaking of Benjamin, also with whom the cup was found. Judah made, Judah made an important declaration when he said that God has found out the sins of your servants. Finally, Joseph is standing there. This was the purpose of the test. Amen? Joseph wanted to see if, uh, he wanted his brothers to see God's hand in their lives. He wanted to see if they would turn their back upon Benjamin, just like they did him when they threw him in that pit years ago. They wanted to see if, if, they would, if their eyes had been spiritually opened, whether they would turn and run and leave Benjamin on his own like they did him. So Judah pours out his heart to Joseph. He confesses his and his brother's sin from 20 years ago. He acknowledges that God does not overlook sin no matter how much time has passed. Amen? That's an important truth that we have to understand as well. God never overlooks sin. Amen? Sin has to be dealt with. It's either purged in the blood of Jesus Christ or it's punished in hell for eternity. That's it. There's only two choices for our sins. But God never overlooks sin. And Judah concludes, look, we've all been found out. So we'll all be your slaves. And then we see Joseph's reply, verse 17. But Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Before we look at Judah's response, we have to notice a couple things here. Judah. This is the same brother 20 years earlier that's saying these words to Joseph, the very one that he threw in a pit, was ready to leave for dead. Same guy. Now look what he says in verse 18. Then Judah came near to him and he said, My Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant. For you are even like Pharaoh. Judah goes on to detail all the events that brought them to this point. He then speaks of their father. Skip down to verse 29, or 27, I'm sorry, verse 27. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, he's talking about Benjamin, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Judah 
pleads for his brother Benjamin as well as for his father's sake here. Flashing back again. You know, 20 years earlier, he didn't care less what his father thought, thought, did he? He could care less how his father felt when they connived and, and, and they planned and they threw Joseph in that pit. And then they sold him off as a slave to Egypt. But now we see a complete 180. Now he's pleading for Benjamin and not just for Benjamin. He's pleading for his father's sake. For his well-being. Verse 33. Now therefore please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Judah now offers himself in place of Benjamin. Judah comes to the realization that he couldn't bear to see his father if Benjamin didn't come home. He couldn't bear to face what his, uh, the, how his father would feel if he lost yet another son. So Joseph, he sees this change in his brothers. He sees this transformation that has taken place, both in their hearts and also in their attitudes. Let's move into uh, chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Three incredible words to the ears of these brothers. I am Joseph. What a declaration. But they were terrified and completely speechless. Look at verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Can you imagine the emotions that these brothers are going through, what they're feeling at that point? Guilt, fear, anxiety. And I believe deep down, you know, probably even some relief that Joseph was actually still alive standing before them. But looking upon him, seeing the position that he holds, fear and guilt far exceeded the relief. And Joseph sees that fear and that guilt. Look what he says, verse 5. 
But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Look at what he says. For God sent me before you to preserve life. That's just grace. Pure grace that Joseph shows them. Most of us, we would have relished that time seeing their knees knock, seeing them trembling in fear before them. Right? If we were in those brothers' shoes, we would have, you know, probably rubbed it in a little deeper even for all that they put us through. But not Joseph. Amen? Not this young man. His heart was in tune with God's heart. He tells them, look, don't fear and don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be upset at yourselves. You didn't send me here. God did. God sent me here. He said, telling them that this was God's plan all along. God sent me here as a vessel to save lives in this devastating famine. That is grace. Amen. Look at verse 6. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Incredible declaration. Amen. He stresses over and over. It wasn't you who sent me. What is he doing? He is completely letting them off the hook, isn't he? That's forgiveness. That's true forgiveness. That's the type of forgiveness that we want God to show to us every time we mess up, isn't it? Our prayer, God, forgive me, wipe my slate clean, wipe it from your memory as if I never did it in the first place. Let me off the hook, please. And this is the grace and the forgiveness that Joseph is showing his brothers. One of my favorite verses in scripture actually occurs a little bit later in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 50:20. Another conversation that Joseph was having with his family. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Amen? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Amen? All things work together for the good to them that love God. How many things? Some things, a few things, all things. 
All means all, and that's all that all means. All things work together for the good to them that love God. Amen? Skip down to verse 9. Joseph says, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, see that it is, uh, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all, the, uh, of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck, and he wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Joseph says, listen, go tell dad. Go tell him to pack every single thing up. You're all moving in with me, and I'm going to take care of all of you. Amen. What an incredible promise. What an incredible invitation. And that is just an absolute beautiful picture of mercy, of grace, and of God's forgiveness. Amen. We talked about, I, I opened up this message with speaking about greatness. What, what made Joseph great? Greatness is not revealed in those big, miraculous actions. Greatness is found in the daily grind with a positive, godly attitude. Amen? Having that godly attitude in our daily grind when we're going through it. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how dark things have gotten, how low that valley is, having that godly attitude through it all, that's greatness. You see, greatness in the eyes of both God and man will never come with anger and resentment. Amen? It only comes with that sweet attitude of forgiveness. Plain and simple. Forgiveness. Verse 16. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants as well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your, and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours even pharaoh's heart is touched by this by this uh, uh, a change in these brothers hearts 
He sees how touched Joseph is. And he commands them. He doesn't just ask. He doesn't just suggest. This is Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And he made it a point twice that this is my command. Go and get all of your family and bring them back to Egypt and I will give them the best of the land. Amen? Skip down to verse 21. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garment. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Anyone have older siblings? Isn't that just like an older brother? Don't get in trouble on the way. Stay out of trouble. Keep your nose clean. See that you don't become troubled along the way. But this was also just good, godly counsel from Joseph. You see, he was fully aware of the temptations that newly found wealth can have on the flesh. These brothers are just like you and I. Amen? They had a transformation inside. God had changed their heart. But they're still wrapped in this old flesh. Amen? Still wrapped in our old sinful nature. And Joseph was fully aware of that. But thankfully, they didn't allow the flesh to take over. Look at verse 25. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph said to them, And when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Jacob is completely stunned. At first, with complete unbelief, that is until he sees this massive caravan that Pharaoh sent. Then it says he was revived. His heart was filled with joy. Not looking at all the wealth, not seeing that massive caravan and all its wealth, but at the news that his son Joseph was alive and well. Amen. It says the spirit of Jacob, their father, was revived. No doubt his thoughts quickly moved ahead to that day that he could just see and hug his son once again. 
the son that he thought was dead all these years. Now we've seen this miraculous change in the heart and lives of Joseph's brothers. A change that only God can bring about. God speaks of this change in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. Ezekiel 33, 11. God says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. God pleads with us. You see, that's a change that God desires to do in each and every one of us. Amen? When we're walking after the flesh, when we're walking in sin before we meet Jesus Christ, we have that cold and calloused heart. Jesus, that great physician, his desire is to do a heart transplant in each and every one of us. Amen. Give us that warm heart of flesh that he describes. Now we see that Jacob, he recognizes the change in his sons. And he realizes that he himself has not been walking after God's Holy Spirit either. He looks in that spiritual mirror and he says, my walk hasn't been right either. Verse 28, last verse in chapter 45. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had. And he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Beersheba. That is the southernmost part of Canaan. Today it's modern Israel. Actually what we consider Palestine today. The Bible says he goes to the southernmost part of, of, of Canaan. And there he offers a sacrifice to the Lord. Before he even leaves the border of his home, Jacob makes sure he stops and he offers a sacrifice to God. Look at verse 2. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and Jacob said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, 
For I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. God wakes Jacob up out of his sleep. Think about that for an alarm clock. Amen. Being woken up by the voice of God. One thing, you better never hit snooze when that voice comes. Amen. Never hit snooze when the voice of God is your alarm clock. What's important, these few verses, these are actually very prophetic verses. Remember God changed Jacob's name to what? Israel. Amen? God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Now he's going to show us why. Right in verse 3. He says, For I will make of you a great nation there. Verse 4. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. What is God prophesying there? God has given us a prophecy of the great exodus out of Egypt. When he called Moses to stand before Pharaoh. Now this is a different Pharaoh because we have quite a few years in between. But God called Moses to stand before Pharaoh and tell him to free his people. And Moses led those Israelites out of the bondage of Egypt. This is exactly what God is talking about here. But that would be another 400 years in the future. God has given us this prophecy 400 years before it happens. Now, in those 400 years, from the offspring of Jacob and his sons, the nation of Israel is born. And they grow to about two to three million people. Amen. God promised Jacob, he said, I will make of you a great nation, the nation of Israel. And 400 years later, he calls Moses to free his people, the nation of Israel, from the bondage of Egypt. This passage, that is the beginning of of that important prophecy. And now we start to see the true heart of Jacob. The one that walked with God for over a hundred years. He sees all the food. He sees all the donkeys, the wealth, Pharaoh's personal invitation. But before he even leaves the border of his home, Jacob stops and he takes time to seek God's face for what purpose? To make sure that God is in that move. Amen? To make sure that this is God's will for him and his family. You see, we have to understand that, that this wasn't just a vacation. Amen? This wasn't just a, a temporary trip, even for the five years of the, of the famine that remained. That's not what this was. 
This was a complete relocation into a foreign country, not only for Jacob and his family, but for an entire nation. Amen? An entire nation. Verse 5. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. So they took their livestock and their goods which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they went to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Can you imagine that caravan? Some of you older folks might understand this, but every time I read those verses, I can't help but visualize the Beverly Hillbillies. (laughs) When they moved to Beverly Hills for the first time. Quite a caravan. Let's skip down to verse 28. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot. He went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. No words to speak, just hugs and tears of joy. Amen. A father embracing a son that he thought was dead for some 20 years. For Jacob... He said, my life is now full, it's complete. A family that was once together again. What a beautiful homecoming. As we study the life of Joseph, I want you to understand that his life is very symbolic of Christ. Both rejected by their own both sold by their own. Jesus, the author, the giver of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And we see that same characteristic in Joseph with his family. And now we see this beautiful homecoming, symbolic of that precious homecoming that every believer looks forward to with our Heavenly Father in our home in glory. Amen.